Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Life Church, how are you doing? Good. Cedar Rapids, hope you're doing good as well. Um, we are kicking off our Life on Mission series today. And uh, this series basically is a, every weekend we're going to be talking about living life on mission, but it's coupled with our weekly life groups. And so we have many life groups that are gathering every, every week, and what they'll be doing is discussing this idea of life on mission. And so my prayer and hope is that every one of you are in a life group and that you've signed up for that. We'll give you an opportunity to do that as well. Um, but in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus kind of sets the stage, not kind of, he does in a very real way. This is right before he's ascended into heaven. So let me just give you a little story, history here. Jesus has been arrested, crucified, and then placed in this tomb. He's buried. Three days later, he comes back to life again. He's resurrected, and he kind of hangs out with several of his followers after that for, for a period of time. And then right before he's taken up into heaven, he, he makes a few, a few declarations. One of them is the one that we're about to read right now, Matthew 28, 19. He says in Matthew 20, 19, he's kind of setting the stage for our purpose and mission, not just for those guys then, but also for us. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This word go and make disciples of all nations. Inherent in Christianity is the call and command to go. This is considered a command of the Lord Jesus Christ to his church, like I said, then, but also to us today. We are all called to go. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a missionary movement. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you've been recruited into the ranks of this missionary corps that, that, we, that he started. Every one of us, okay? This is not for the pastor alone or for the evangelist or for the person that really, you know, knows a lot about, you know, church. It's not for the super Christian. This is for every single one of us who says, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior, and I will follow him. You've been called to be a missionary. Now, I realize the word mission can be kind of scary, right? Um, this past Sunday, we were at a gathering with our, our team that went to the Dream Center. And um, after the meal, we were kind of sitting around, having a little bit of conversation about the upcoming mission trips that we had that were scheduled. We have one going to El Salvador, another one going to Kenya, and another one going to India, two going to India. And uh, so there's a little bit of discussion, you know, about, about the, you know, what's happening in those missions trips. And then very quickly, the conversation went downhill. Suddenly, we're talking about bugs and, and poisonous critters and village toilets, you know, and the hole in the ground and the squatty potties and, and maybe bugs come crawling out of the hole in the ground. And I mean, it was just everything you can imagine that you have a conversation about when it comes to mission that would scare anybody away from actually going on a short-term mission trip. And so there were a few people around there saying, yeah, that's why I don't want to go, you know, because I just don't want to, you know, we, our Kenya trip there, we're sleeping in tents, you know, and, and they're like, and, and somebody said, well, you're sleeping off the ground, you know, like, well, that doesn't really make a whole lot of people 
excited, right? So maybe that's the reason why mission can be a scary thing. Or maybe, maybe for some of you, mission, when you think of mission, you think of like the, the Mormon missionaries or the Jehovah's Witness who go door to door and cold call, you know, and it feels a little awkward. And you're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want, if you're telling me, Rich, I need to be, live life on mission, that I have to go knocking on doors of people I don't even know. I'm out. Maybe that's how you feel. Or maybe your idea of mission is a conventional idea of mission that we, uh, that we know about. You know, missionaries who basically sell everything. They go to a distant place. They learn a new language. Some of you know that my family and I, we, we, uh, we served in the country of Bangladesh um, uh, as missionaries for, for eight years. And I, I remember vividly that, that morning, that, that March morning in 1993 when we packed everything up and we flew out, my family, and I got a picture actually of us. This, is, uh, this was Easter, just a few months after we arrived in the country in Bangladesh, is my, my wife and I, and then our three boys. And uh, yeah, we made that decision. We're gonna, we're, just, just in case you didn't believe that I used to have dark hair, I did actually have black hair before. Um, but but we, 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 we packed everything up, and I remember that morning boarding the, air, the airplane in, in, in Dallas-Fort Worth, and then we flew from Dallas-Fort Worth to San Francisco and got on a different plane in San Francisco. Then from San Francisco to Tokyo, we got on another plane. Can you imagine? San Francisco is like 12 hours, 11 hours in an airplane with those three little monsters. I mean, that's, that's what it was like. We flew all the way there to Tokyo. And then from Tokyo, it was another eight-hour flight to Bangkok and then spent the night in Bangkok in a hotel while we were flying from uh, arriving into Bangkok, we discovered that our middle son, Josh, right here, had a, had a chicken pox. <laughs> and so we, we, we kind of like hit it because we wanted to get on the airplane the next day. We didn't want them to say, oh, you can't get on the airplane. And so we did. And we landed in Dhaka, Bangladesh in March of 1993. And I have to tell you, that was an adventure living the next eight years in that country. We learned the language. We, you know, we... We were hiding out sometimes from when, when there was political turmoil in the country. Sometimes we got sick with parasites. In the first service, I gave an, a story of a, I, it's too much information actually, <laughs> but I'm going to do it again because I said it now, I just set it up, but one of, I think it was my oldest son had a, a bowel movement. Okay, is that, a, is that a politically correct way to say it? And, uh, and then we looked at the toilet, and there were some other things in there just moving around, like worms, you know. And I mean, those kind of things happen. But other things we saw, too, is we saw young men and women, Muslim men and women, give their life to Jesus Christ and begin to follow him. It was an adventure. We were definitely living our life on mission at that point. And make no mistake about it, we need people who will do that. We need people who will basically sell everything, go off and serve people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ before who will, you know, take a bunch of shots and get a passport and visa and take anti-malarial meds and all that kind of stuff, learn a foreign language and go. I mean, we need that. The world needs that. There are billions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus before, okay? Now, I know you're sitting here thinking, wait a minute, Rich, are you asking us to do that? Don't worry. Okay, I'm not asking you. I realize that most of you will not even leave Iowa. I get that. And most of you, you're going to be right here. You're not going to go anywhere. You're staying home. But make no mistake about it. Even if you stay home, even if you don't leave Iowa, you are still on mission if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. 
We don't get a choice. We don't get to say, Jesus, I follow you. I want you to give me all the benefits that you give, the, the, the sense of forgiveness and grace and salvation. I want all those kind of things, but I don't want to really talk about you to anybody. We don't have that choice. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called to be on mission, and your mission is right around you, kind of like that video that we just saw. It's your next-door neighbor. It's your place of work. It's your gym. It's a school that you, that you go to. I like how Jesus describes this mission that we're on in Acts chapter 1, verse, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So Jesus is speaking to his followers, and he says, listen, there's going to be some, you're going to receive, a, a, there's going to be an experience that you're going to have with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to receive this power that's going to help you to be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Your mission field starts right where you live. Your next door neighbor, if you, if you are called, if you, are, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then you're on mission. And where that mission starts is right next door. Amen? Amen. Now, as we go through this series, we're going um, to be looking at different verses. I'm going to call it our focus verse. So that our focus verse for this, for this message today is Acts 1.8. And what I want to do is I want to encourage you to memorize this verse. It's not hard. It's not hard to memorize it. I want to encourage you to memorize it. Okay, because the reason why is this, this whole plan of ours is to have Sunday morning service where we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to get together during the week in the life group, and we're going to discuss it. And what I'd like you to do is be prepared, internalizing this verse, so that when you sit with your life group this week, you can actually have a pretty good discussion about that verse. You can allow the Holy Spirit to be speaking to you about this particular verse. And I realize that you're like, Rich, really? You want me to memorize the Bible? The answer is absolutely yes. Even if we were not, even if we were not doing a series like this, I would encourage you to memorize scripture. There's something mystical and power about having God's, God's word hidden in our hearts. I can't tell you the number of times I've been maybe discouraged and all alone, and I just didn't f- have, feel like there was any hope, there was no direction out, there was no way out of my situation, and God's word would just surface up in my heart and just speak to me and encourage me in that moment. There's something powerful about, encur- about memorizing God's words. So I want to encourage you to, to do that over these next 40 days as we do this Life on Mission series. Now this idea of life, life on mission begins with this verse in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says you will receive power. Here Jesus talks about the, the what and the where, okay? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The what that Jesus is talking about in no uncertain terms is that we are witnesses, this is the call, is to be a witness. What is a witness? A witness is a person who testifies through our words and through our deeds what God has done in our lives. We're, we, we experience something, we receive something, God did something in our lives, we've experienced it, and we're just gonna testify to that. We're gonna be a witness to that. We're gonna share it with others. I was praying one time and my body was healed. God did it in a miraculous way. I'm going to share that with others. Maybe you're here and you know, you know your story. Your story is one that you were lost and far from God. And then suddenly you had an encounter with Jesus Christ and he began to transform your story. And before long, you're now looking back and you said, this is what I used to do. This is where I used to be. 
Let me just tell you about my story. Just sharing your story is actually being a witness. So that's the what, right? We witness, we tell our story. We tell people that we love Jesus and that we're followers of his and that he's changed our lives. But the where, you'll notice here, uh, where do we go first is we go to our Jerusalem. The way Jesus talks about this in this particular passage, I, I wish I would have made a graphic for it because it's, it's kind of this idea of concentric circles, if you can imagine, if you have an idea of concentric circles, that the inner circle is Jerusalem, and then the, the next circle is Judea, and then the next circle beyond that is Samaria, and then the circle beyond that is the ends of the earth, okay? And so it's, it's this idea of that's how this gospel is going out, it's how this message is going out, it's how we are to be witnesses, right? It starts in Jerusalem and it moves out. There's some theological ideas behind that as well. There's cross-cultural ideas about that as well. So Jerusalem are the people that we're familiar with, people that we know. Judea Still familiar, it's kind of like, you know, maybe from a different region of the, Samaria is, we're starting to cross some cultural barriers and then the ends of the earth would be even more cultural barriers. So that's the idea behind what Jesus is talking about. And what Jesus is saying, he was talking to these people back then who are in Jerusalem. And he says, you're gonna be my witnesses. They're, they live in Jerusalem. You're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Why is he telling them you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem? He's telling them, this is where it starts. It starts right here. You cannot be a missionary around the world if you can't even be a missionary next door. And so it starts right here in Jerusalem. And so our Jerusalem is Corbill, North Liberty, Cedar Rapids, Iowa City. Let me remind you a little bit about our Jerusalem. <clears throat> here in Eastern Iowa, we have this, what, you know, the, you're familiar with this term, the I-380 corridor which kind of comes from Waterloo all the way down to Iowa City. And in that geographical region, there's about half a million people who live in that geographical region, okay? And so in this corridor, in this area, there's a, there's a, a research group called Barna Group that did some research and they basically polled a lot of, lot of people regarding this. And what, they've, what they have uh, said in their research that in that corridor, but more specifically, more particularly in our, in our area, Iowa City, Johnson County, that we would be considered a post-Christian city. Meaning that, this is how they describe post-Christian city. 60% or more, okay, 60% or more people in our area, Johnson County area, 60% or more of the respondents in this survey claim to not believe in God. They're either atheist or agnostic. They disagree that faith, and more specifically church, has any importance in their life at all. They've not prayed to God in the last year. They've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And they don't really believe that the Bible is even relevant or accurate for them. In this same research, um, we were ranked, our area was ranked as number four in the, in the country, in the United States, for the least Bible-minded cities in America. Ahead of us is Boston, Massachusetts, Troy, Troy, New York, and Providence, Rhode Island. In this past week, less than 14% in our area even cracked the Bible open to read it. Here in Corville, Iowa City, we, we live in, an, in a city of economic extremes. You know, we're here part of the university, and which means there's a highly educated population here, which also has an equally high income. But there's also a growing 
poor in our community as well. And that's why when we do something like Servolution here, back to school Servolution, we have a thousand families line up around this building to receive goods and services. Why am I saying all that? Because here's what we need to know. This is our starting point. Our city, our neighbors, our community, our county needs Jesus Christ. This is why we're talking about life on mission. You have to have this conviction, this belief that that person next to you, they're nice, they're good, they're great, there's nothing wrong with them, they're very friendly, maybe they're fi financially stable, everything's good about them, but if they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they need Jesus Christ. That's the starting point for us. And so as we talk about this, this idea of life on mission, let's start with Jesus. You understand that Jesus was on mission, right? I mean, from the very beginning, the incarnation is him being on mission. God, the Father, sent him here to this earth to live among us for three and a half years, to die, well, 33 and a half years, but three and a half years of ministry, 33 and a half years he lived with us, and then he was ultimately crucified, raised back to life again, and all of this was a on-purpose mission that he was on. So Jesus is on mission, one day while he was on mission, he meets a woman at a well. You know the story, the Samaritan woman at the well. I mean, this woman, she was a mess, totally disqualified by society. From the details of the story, she was an outcast in her community. The reason that she was at the well when nobody else was at the well, when the other women would normally go to the well was because she was an outcast. She might as well have worn the scarlet letter, adulteress, on her, because that's what she was. She was a real sinner. And she is someone you would never think would become a missionary. Now, when we read, we read the story of the Samaritan woman, what we oftentimes walk away from is that, wow, Jesus was compassionate and loving and including of a woman who was really, you know, a very bad sinner in their, in their culture, at least, right? But what we oftentimes miss is that she was also a missionary. She goes right back to her village. People who knew her, people who knew her story, knew everything about her. She goes right back to her town and tells people something. This is what she says to them in verse 29 of John chapter 4. She becomes a witness. She says, come, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come see. Could this be the Messiah? This is what a true missionary is. A true missionary witness is one who goes and says, hey, listen, can I tell you about what I've seen and what I've experienced? She didn't go back to her town to start an argument with them about their belief systems. That's not what she did. She didn't go back there to correct their wrong behavior or their wrong actions. That's not what she did. All she did was just go back there and say, listen, come see this Jesus who's changed my life. I want you to notice how this community, this, this city that she's a part of responds to that testimony of hers. In verse 39, she says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Many believed in him because of her testimony, because of her witness. This is what a missionary is. This is what a witness is. She encountered Jesus, it rocked her world, and then she went back and she told everybody her story. This is what God has done inside of me. This is how he's transformed me. This is how he's changed me. This is, this is really simple. It's what a witness does. 
So I think sometimes we've really complicated it. We really think that being a witness is having all kinds of theological education and all kinds of, you know, right thinking about what the Bible says or doesn't say. And really all you need to do is share your story of how you've experienced Jesus Christ and what he's done in you. Now in the middle of this encounter, Jesus kind of reminds us something really big here that we need to understand as we embark on this whole series of life on mission. In verse 31, he says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him. Now, uh, the story kind of goes like this. Jesus goes to Samaria. He, te- he sends his disciples off to get food and, and supplies while he stays by himself. And he has his encounter with this woman, right? And so they come back and they've come back with food and supplies and says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Like, he's, they're thinking, wait, where do you get food from? We didn't have any food. We went, to the, we went to the store to get food, and we brought it back, and now he says he's not hungry. What's going on? They say to each other, could someone have brought him food? And then he says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What gives me What gives me life, what makes me alive, is to do the will of my Father, to finish his work. And then he says, don't you have a saying, kind of refers to one of their common sayings, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Hear the challenge that Jesus is making to them, he's also making to you and I. He's challenging us to open our eyes. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. See, Jesus really didn't care about food. What he cared about was people discovering real life, whole life, healing, satisfaction that doesn't come from anything in this world, only from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he was focusing in on. And he's telling them there's this harvest. There are people who need Jesus all around us. They need someone to witness to them to let them know of what Jesus has done in our lives. You see, without Jesus, people are lost. We've all been lost, right? You remember when you were lost? I vividly remember when I was lost. I, 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 it's a, it's, for me, it's a spiritual exercise regularly to remember when I was lost. It's the only thing that keeps me connect, connected to people who are lost here on this earth right now. We were all lost at one point. Maybe some of you in this room right now, maybe you are lost. Now, lost doesn't mean you're a bad person. I'm not attacking your personhood in any way. That's not what I'm doing. We all know that nobody wants to be lost, right? Who likes to be lost? Nobody likes to be lost, right? Lost really stinks. Being lost really stinks. Have you ever been lost, like physically lost? Yeah, Yeah, all of us have been physically lost at some point or another, right? I remember back, back before, uh, before, you know, GPS and, and cell phones and all of that stuff, you know, um, I, I, I was traveling, I was, as a missionary, going, traveling from church to church, raising funds, and I don't know if you guys remember the map that you used, this is like a big book with the map of the United States, and it had every state in it, you know, and, and, and it had bigger cities as well, it would have the map, like details of the, of the, of the, the states and the cities. And so that's what I used to navigate. And I was, one, one, one Sunday I was in northern Louisiana preaching in a church and, and just as I, as I was ending the service way up north Louisiana, the, uh, 
there was a, a, an ice storm that hit Louisiana. Now, you guys are familiar with ice storms and, you know, snow and all that kind of stuff. Louisiana's not so much. Like, when it hits, everything shuts down. I mean, everything shuts down. Here, we just keep going to school. We keep going to Walmart. In fact, it's time off from work. We get to just really get out and go do stuff, you know? That's what happens when that happens here. But there, everything shuts down, you know? So I'm driving back. I know this ice storm is hitting, and I need to get home. And, I'm, you know, I've got about a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour drive to get to my house. And so I'm, I, I'm driving this little Hyundai Elantra. And as I'm driving, I notice, man, my... Why, why does it seem so dark out there? I, could, I felt like it was just ex- really darker than usual. But it kept getting worse and worse, and I realized that my alternator was actually going out on my vehicle at the same time. So I'm in an ice storm, and my alternator is starting to fail, right? And so I look in the map, and I found a little shortcut to get to Leesville, Louisiana. That's where I was living. Uh, a little road I saw. It wasn't really a big road on that map. It's a small road on that map, but it was a shortcut to the highway, to Interstate 49, and so I decided, I'm just going to take that road. And when I got up to that turnoff, I turned on, onto that road, and I started driving down that road for a little while. And it was a smaller road for sure, and it drove me right into Kisatchee National Forest. <laughs> and it was like, turn left and turn right and left. It kind of meandered a little bit, you know. And then, then, it, then the road turned to gravel. <laughs> that should have been a cue for me. That's just like, Rich, you need to turn around right now because you're on the wrong road. That should have been a cue, but no, I was stubborn. I didn't want to get, stu- I didn't want to get stranded. I wanted to make it home. And so I kept driving until finally the road ended completely. And I'm like, and I'm turned around. I'm lost. I am lost. And the first thought that my, went to my, through my mind was, I'm going to die here. I'm going to freeze to death in my car. Nobody's going to find me for months. You know? That's what's going to happen to me. You know? Well, anyways, I managed to eke enough battery life out of that battery, got back to the main road where I had turned off originally, flagged a guy down, and he took me to a gas station. I made a phone call, got towed, and actually did not go home. I couldn't get home. They closed the highway down for about that much ice. Um, but that's what happens in Louisiana, and I stayed the night at a hotel. <clears throat> Listen, nobody wants to be lost right? Nobody like physically wants to be lost, but somebody who is spiritually lost, they don't want to be lost. If they knew they were lost, they don't want to be lost. See, people without Jesus are lost. They're lost. And so what Jesus is trying to tell us is that he is the best pathway. He's the best way for people to find the Father. That's why Jesus came. He's the only way, and we need Jesus. Otherwise, we're on our own, spiritually speaking, we're lost. Now, in our mission, our mission as a church is to love that, those who are lost. That's what our mission is, is to love lost people, right? I mean, they might, I'm sure they hold wrong beliefs, and you might hear their beliefs, and you think, that's wrong, those, wrong, those are wrong beliefs. Or maybe, you, maybe they do things often that you disagree with, Or maybe their lifestyle is contrary to the ways of Jesus. I get all of that. But our job is not to correct that. Our job is to love them. I love Billy Graham's uh, little statement he makes here. It says, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. Ultimately, God's going to judge us, our hearts, whether we're with him or not. And it's my job to love. We used to have banners in our church when we were in North Liberty. We didn't bring them here because 
comparatively speaking, they were just too small. They would just, nobody would even notice them anyways. But they would say on both sides of the building, I said, mission is why the church exists. We were making a statement. We're here because God has called us on mission. This church exists to be on mission. And then the other banner said, love is the context of all mission. This is how we do mission. We love people. People need to be loved. People need to be found. People need to be guided to Jesus. We're reading a book with our staff right now, or we just finished reading a book with our staff right now, and um, came across this uh, little line this past week, actually, we were talking about it, and uh, I, loved, I loved the line. I just never had heard it this way, but to be a witness is to be a reliable guide. So as a witness, you're a reliable guide. You're somebody who can say, hey, come with me. Let me show you the way to Jesus. That's what being a witness is all about. Helps, us find, helps people find Jesus. <clears throat> and that's the job of every single one of us. That's the job of the church. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to be a witness. And this church, Life Church, we're just a group of Jesus followers who wants to see our city, our Jerusalem, transformed by the power of God. Every one of us are missionaries on that journey. Amen. Amen. Now today, um, what I'm doing is I'm just basically introducing this idea of life on mission. And so part of the, uh, part of the idea, it's, it, there's going to be some mission action that we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks. I want to talk about five actions that we're going to take to be able to be reliable guides, to guide people to Jesus, to, to invite people onto this journey so that they can experience be truly what, what it means for us to truly be witnesses for him. But let me just say this real quick. The best way for that to happen, this is an all-church, all-groups, all-church study. The best way for that to happen is not just come here on Sunday morning, sit and listen to the sermon. The best way for this to happen is for you to be a part of a life group where then you could take what we're talking about and sit down with your life group and really put it into practice to discuss what does it mean to be a witness for Jesus Christ every day. Maybe in that life group, what I'm hoping and praying for is that these light bulbs will come on while you're sitting in that life group, and like you'll say, you know what? I sit next to this person all the time, and we have these interesting conversations, and I don't know why I've never just said, hey, why don't you come with me to church? Or hey, let me just tell you a little bit about what's happened in my life. My prayer is that those, we'll have those light bulb moments in these life groups. And so if you're not a part of a life group, I want to encourage you right now to sign up for our life groups. Amen? We have the website, lifechurchnow.org. That's our website. And just forward slash life groups. You can find there's a whole series of life groups there. You can sign up for one of those life groups or at least request to join a life group. You'll get a response back from the life group leader. And if you don't get a response, then Penny will encourage that. She'll encourage the leaders to respond to you. But that's what, that's what we'll do. Amen? Will you join a life group? Yes, all right. Okay, I get that. So this is just an intro, okay, of Life on Mission. I am so excited. Cedar Rapids, I'm so excited that we're embarking on this journey to see our world, to see our Jerusalem touched by the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I want to just pray real quick with you. I want you to ask yourself, just a simple question, not yourself, but ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? What are you speaking to my life right now? 
Maybe as we've been talking about life on mission, maybe, maybe there's been this recurring idea, you know what, I need to be more, I just need to be braver about my story, about my testimony. Maybe for you, it's just, you know, you're ready to yourself make a full-on commitment to follow Jesus and not just be halfway in and halfway out. I don't know what it is that the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you, but I know he speaks. And what we're going to do here in just a few minutes is we're going to pray, as we always do, and uh, we have a, one last song of worship. And when we stand to, 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 to sing in worship, that'll be your cue. We have prayer teams here on the left and right. That'll be your cue for you to step out and receive prayer. And I want to challenge you. If you walked in these doors needing prayer, don't leave without getting prayer. That's what the church is for. We're here to pray for you. We're here to encourage you. We're here to build you up. Who knows? You might step aside, receive prayer, and God changes your life in that moment. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, I just want to thank you for what you're doing, Holy Spirit, in this place. Right now, Holy Spirit, move through our hearts, convince us, lead us, guide us. May we respond to what you might be speaking to us. In Jesus' name, let's worship.